Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. And so they're bringing it into the schools and trying to teach people how to breathe and, and how to think and how to clear your mind and how to, you know, feel what's going on so that you can better cope with the complete chaos and anxiety that is gripping young and old. Um, so my only fear, and I understand that in all religions, they touch on things that, that are, um, they, they're kind of, there's like a strand that could run across them all good, good habits in, in, in each different religion. You can take out good things, I guess. Right. Um, and so mindfulness certainly makes sense. And it would be something to teach kids to stop and to think, and all of us, to take a deep breath. You're here today because you were mindful in what you wanted to do this morning and to get out of the traffic and take a deep breath and regroup and refocus, and those are all good things. But when, when I kept hearing about it, and now it's coming into the schools and all, I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that Buddhism? And so, yeah, 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 but we took the Buddhism out of it. And I'm like, you could do that? So, so I just did my own... In my own investigating just to be sure I knew what I was talking about. And so I only clip this so that you can see clearly I'm not making, I'm not making this up, but, um, Buddhism teachings of mindfulness. And so it says, what is it, uh, about Buddhism meditation? But I just want you to see, no, I'm sorry. I'm saying that wrong. You'll find the basics about the practice and it's Buddhist roots. So say no more. It's Buddhist roots. And so in that there are hand positions that you do in this, in, you know, the thinking process and the mindfulness. And for people that are taking no thought, it seems like a harmless thing when really you are engaging in a, in a Buddhist practice that would not, that would be in, you know, the antithesis of, of our Christianity and what we're looking to do in our souls and in our spirits. And so, and the the other funny thing, just to note, is that people, it's becoming the rave right now. It's a hot topic, if you you know about it. But people are doing it that aren't even certified. So they're not certified psychologists. They're just, I don't know what they are. I have a friend, uh, a very good friend, that is now going into a few different schools teaching this. And I'm like, what... I'm sorry, you're a lawyer. I'm just trying to get, like, the connection. And I'm trying to be respectful because I'm like, what the heck? And listen, people could say, you know, why are you standing up talking in church? Because I am far from perfect. So I do say that, but I look at her and go, wait, you're teaching mindfulness? Because it's it doesn't quite go with my girlfriend, if you were to know her. Um, so, but I'm like, I don't understand. So as I'm reading articles about mindfulness, they're talking about how there's a whole other side to it that people are not aware of. And it can actually take somebody that's had post-traumatic stress. So take children sitting in, um, in a school, in a diverse school and put them into this state of clearing your mind. It actually spins them back into a traumatic situation and they don't always come out. Or they'll go into a depression. Adults, I've gone into a depression. I don't know what they did to me. My wife couldn't get out of bed and blah, blah, blah. So they're playing with something way deeper than they realize in their ignorance. And they're doing it with people that aren't trained. And I say this not to poke fun. My my very good friend um, who, who is doing this as a coach, uh, we have an upcoming... So I say this. Maybe I'll tie it up after. I... We have an upcoming event with a whole bunch of old 
friends from school from years ago, right? She won't come. And I'm like, why aren't you coming? It's like, she can't handle it. It's like the anxiety. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're the mindfulness coach. And I don't mean to be, but I'm like, you're the mindfulness coach. Can't pull it together to go to the thing. And it's fine if you admit you can't pull it together. I have no problem with you saying you're too anxious. But then just realize you have no business teaching it. Like, I don't understand. So, and I really, I really mean that. I don't hold that against her because there is, I get that anxiety about seeing people you haven't. But so, the disconnect. So why do I say that? Because I look at that as an example to say, the world is giving us the counterfeit that is empty and it will not lead to what we need. And, and so hence why we're going to have Pastor Linda talk today to what does Christianity say? Because there certainly is meditation in Christianity that is, that is helpful and wholesome. And so, um, we'll, we'll engage in that. There was something I wanted to add to that. Um, but maybe it'll come back. Yeah, and another point. So, yeah, I'm her daughter for sure. So, <laughs> so really, you know, that's that's it in in a nutshell. That we're here to talk about, you know, how the Lord. I know what it was. Just to say that I think a lot of us have talked in in my private conversations with people about the fact that we feel something in our spirit. The world isn't getting better. It's not getting less chaotic. It's not getting more peaceful. And if we wait to find peace and find that centeredness and be able to calm your mind amongst the chaos, um, it's really, he's giving us a window. So today is, he is giving us time, how he goes before us to give us the needs we don't even know yet that we're going to need down the road. I believe that's what this is today, to equip us, to teach us how to get there. So when the world's falling apart and your kids are in school and something's going down and you can't get to them, to be able to, to, be able to find him, connect you know, whatever it looks like, that sounds completely out of control and chaos, you know, chaotic. Um, so, thank you for coming. We're going to have um, a song that Meg's going to lead us into. And um, I just encourage you to worship. We're going into our inner man this morning, connecting with our soul and spirit. And then we'll follow up with Pastor Linda that will talk about, you know, that's what the world says. But we're here today to talk about what does the church say. So, oh yeah, and that was yeah, yeah. My last scripture was just that the Lord talks about it was in your thing, maybe Mel. The very last one, you don't even have to blow it up. Oh, oh, peace. You know, He doesn't give us peace. Can you? I I, I know I'll, I I say it all backwards, but He doesn't give us peace as the world gives us. John, in this world, we'll have troubles and tribulations. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he's saying, I'm giving you a different peace. Not as the world gives you. The world's giving you mindfulness. But I'm giving you a peace of God. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the difference, okay? Because there is. So good to be, get, be together. I think it's been ages since we've been together as, as gals. Ages. So good to see so many of you come out this morning. <laughs> Well, you know, those of you who know me well and have um, and uh, have walked with me for many years know that uh, often when I minister, I'm aware the night before a lot of what's going on and the people I'm going to minister to. Just, I know many of us talk about John Eldridge. How many love John Eldridge? Don't we love him? And John said something that so helped me one day. It just kind of validated me. 
John said, you know, John's a psychologist, a counselor, uh, a real one, Jen. He's certified to. <laughs> and uh, so John said that one day he was running out to mow his lawn quickly because he was having someone come for counseling. And um, while, he was counsel- while he was mowing the lawn, he said, I was just so aware of these lustful thoughts. They were just bombarding me and bombarding me. And he said, you know, I have a lot of problems. You know how transparent John is. I have a lot of problems. But that's like not my real problem, he said. That's not really top of my list. And it was so unusual. He said, he said, and then a quick hurried, I got ready for my, my appointment. And the fellow who I was getting ready to counsel walked in and sat down and began to tell me all about his sexual battle that he was in. And... That's kind of true for me. And I can tell you it was a real tough night. I realized like, whoa, many of us are walking in here today really, really feeling like uh, they're really up against it. Uh, I could feel it in the spirit. And anxiety, we've talked to a Jen's talked about it. And uh, I'm just really looking for the Lord to give us a, a word this morning because, you know, I said to somebody once, when I listened to her talk about her problem and, and we, were, we were discussing it, I said, you know, there's just one problem with the way you're thinking. You're, it would be fine if it was just us and God on this planet. But that's not the case. Let me, let me just read you this verse. This is 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says, that in the later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. So, you know, we could spend a lot of time this morning going through the scriptures, and I can, I can be underlining, you know, a number of scriptures for you this morning that would, would just help clarify for us that in the latter days, the Bible, the master himself was very clear, there's going to be a total different kind of warfare. So on the phone yesterday with Arlene Helmick, many of you know her. Uh, we came to the Lord together. Her and her husband pastored for many years. We, we're great friends. We have the same computers. We can say, remember that book? Remember, what was the, who wrote that book again? You know, the, one of those gals in your life. And uh, we were talking, and she said to me, and she's been going through a very, very tough time. Uh, it, it's been mounting, as I have, as I have over the last years of our lives. And um, she said, you know, Linda, she said, the warfare is so different it's like you don't even know how to fight it. And I said, wow, I mean, that's really, that's really true. I mean, we're learning how to fight it, and God's in it. Um, but it is so true that the warfare is, and I don't know if you feel like that, but I personally feel like that. I feel like the warfare has absolutely changed. And um, I, I love this verse in Isaiah 43. And now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. When you pass through the waters, 
I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. You know, there's a lot of places where uh, waters represent your emotions. And one of the things I'm finding is it, it does seem some days you, when you're going through the waters, <laughs> he says, you won't be, you won't drown. Now, how many know what it feels like to be going through an emotional situation and you feel like, man, I'm going down. And you feel like this wave is just, this wave has hit you and, you know, you don't know, you know, you, you don't even know if you're going to stand. And, um, you know, it'd be one thing for me to get up here today and I, I can give you, you know, you can give me, we can take our spiritual teachers and we can take our books and our authors that we, that speak to us and we can line them all up to tell us something. But I think this morning the Lord wants to use a teacher for us right now. You can set up that video, Mary, that I think, um, who's, who's not a Christian, but I think one of the things that I want us to leave with this morning is the understanding that what you are, you are thinking is all you, you are so mistaken. You are so mistaken. This is so much bigger than you or me. And one of the things, even I think it's one of the gals, and maybe Jen mentioned, keep us, or, keep us apart so we all think it's us. Uh, but I think one of the reasons we want to do this and one of the reasons we want to um, continue breakfast and, and getting in places like this as women um, is for this very reason. We need the enemy to be exposed in our lives, that it is not just a personal thing. Some of you may recognize Tucker Carlson, um, Fox News. Um, uh, let's hear what, what Tucker has to say. Let's hear what Tucker has to say, actually, right now. We ready to go with him? Okay. Sean Parker 
this morning in his conversation with Axios, Parker repeatedly describes Facebook like an addicted drug, which of course functionally it is. When he and his partners design their product, Parker says they kept one question in mind, quote, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? The answer they found was a stream of dopamine gets to your brain in the form of likes, comments, and new posts. Parker acknowledges Facebook has become an epidemic and is devastating in this country. Quote, it literally changes your relationship with society and each other, he said. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. Let that sink in. Imagine how you would feel if you actually believed you had injured the brains of millions of children. Sean Parker does not seem especially concerned by this. In fact, in his interview with Axios, he brags about how rich it has made it. Quote, because I'm a billionaire, I'm going to have better access to health care, Parker said. I'm going to be like 160, and I'm going to be part of this class of immortal overlords. You know the expression about compounding interest? I had these people who would come up to me um, and they would say, you know, I'm not on social media. And I would say, okay, you know, you will be. And then they would say, they would say, no, 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 no. I value my real life interactions. I value the moment. I value presence. And I value intimacy. And I would say, well, you're a conscientious objector. That's okay. You don't have to participate. Get you eventually. And, and, and like, I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying. Really, <laughs> because it, the, un, the unintended consequences of, 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 of a network refers to a billion or two billion people, and, and it, begins, it literally changes your relationship with society, with each other, with. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, 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 it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. It, God only knows what it's doing to, to our children's brains. You know, if, if, the, if the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it, that thought process was all about how we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you, you know, more likes and content. It's a, it's a, valid, it's a social validation feedback loop that, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting vulnerability. In, in human psychology. And I just, I, I think that we, you know, we, the inventors, creators, you know, it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Sistrom and Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. Did, did you understand what he just said? Did you understand what he just said? He was one of the original presidents of Facebook. And he went on to say, we knew exactly what we were doing, and we did it anyway. We knew 
how to exploit psychologically vulnerable vulnerability in people and to use that. And he said, we're after trying to get, we want your attention and we want your time. That's what the world says. We want your attention. We want your time. And then they come out with mindfulness. Oh, now we can help you get, you know, get your attention back. And now we can help you get a hold and get your life back together again. Ladies, maybe some of you are on the younger spectrum of your Christian life. And maybe the whole idea of when we even say the word, word warfare is kind of like foreign to you or you don't really, you know, you don't really, um, you don't really get it. I know for me, when I was a young Christian, you couldn't even say the word devil in my presence because, honestly, it scared me so much. So, you know, I recognize if, you know, we, we just around here, we're pretty free. We're, most of us have been, you know, walking enough to know that warfare is a very real part of our lives. But if that's you, just hang on. You know, you're safe. You know, you know, God, it's like your baby. You know, you don't expose your children, you know, to crossing the street when they're, you know, when they're a year old. Or God knows where you're at, and he knows the book you're up to. And, but, but we're going to have to understand, without a doubt, if you're going to live in the world that we're living in today, you're going to have to understand whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Everybody is going to have to understand there is a tsunami that is hitting the globe. It's a tsunami of darkness. It is a tsunami of chaos. It is a, and here we have, I don't need to put up a preacher. I don't have to put up uh, a pastor and have you. Uh, this is the, the, one of the biggies in, in the corporate world telling us right there. I can't even believe it. I mean, if you don't believe that this is, that there's real warfare and that there's something trying to grab for your mind, you know, you can always tell, you know, God wants to renew our minds. One of the ways you can tell if you've got any, you know, the, the, the demonic, the, the demons are involved, is your mind is supposed to go to get things. When something's trying to get your mind, then you know there's something, there's something wrong. But there is something trying to grab our minds. And you may be sitting here today and say, I don't know what everybody's talking about. I'm, I'm cool, you know. But I'm telling you that no matter where you are right now, it's, it's here. And there'll be no one who will escape escape it except the i believe the escape route is what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning um to begin there i'm going to be referring a little bit to judges uh i I didn't have them put it on the overhead mainly because it's too much for me i never know what order i'm going to do things and so i'm just going to be reading you and talking to you a little bit i'll just give you a few verses but mostly i'm going to paraphrase um in the book of Judges, now Judges is kind of like, the book of Judges is kind of like the interim between the children of Israel going into the promised land. And before they had kings, as we've been hearing about David, the first king, before they had kings, this was kind of the intermediate period. And God would raise up, he would raise up uh, deliverers like Gideon and, and, and uh, Samson, and, and he would raise up judges. And you read, that's what the book of Judges is about. It's about people people that were prophets usually, 
and judges. You know, judges was somebody, you know, you'd sit and you'd ask, hey, listen, there's a problem between us. He stole my land. You know, this person was my dad's land. Whatever. The judge would sit under the tree at the gate and the judge would decide. Well, God raises up in, in Judges 4, he raises up, strangely enough, he raises up a woman. And her name is Deborah. And we see right away, we see in the beginning of the, of the chapter of, uh, of Judges 4, we see that Deborah sits under the tree, uh, and she is one that people come to, they have, they get wisdom from her, and she sits and she judges Israel. And so we see that, and now the story goes on in this chapter and tells about the victory that Deborah was a part of. And then chapter 5 is simply called the Song of Deborah, where it's just telling you uh, what happened in the battle that we see in chapter 4. And it tells us about the battle, and it also gives, fills in some information we don't really see in chapter 4. But, um, so I'm going to be going back and forth a little bit to, to just comment on a few of the verses and kind of give a context of uh, what's going on here. Now, Ehud, the first verse says, Ehud was dead. Ehud was the judge that preceded Deborah. And there was something like, I think it was 60 years of peace that Israel had experienced under Ehud. And so he died, and now, and now God raises up Deborah. Now, at this point, raising up Deborah, the children of Israel were oppressed for something like 20 years by the Canaanites. So they were oppressed, and um, as I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop around a little bit. On, on uh, the next chapter, the Song of Deborah, it tells us something very interesting. It says, um, in, in these days, I'm in verse 6, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, the highways were deserted, travelers uh, walked along the byways, village life ceased, and it ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose arose a mother in Israel because they chose new gods and there was war in the gates. Does that sound familiar to you at all? This to me is such a description of America. The people of Israel, you see the book of Judges just has a cycle. The children of Israel worship God, they obey him, they're blessed, then they fall away from God, they, they go whoring after other gods, God has to pull them back, God has to discipline them, and then God has to raise up another judge, and we just go through the cycle and cycle and cycle. So here we are, and there's blood in the streets. It is not life is as normal. And God raises up a woman, a mother in Israel. I want to tell you personally, when I was a very young Christian, God gave me some verses out of the book of Isaiah. Some of the gals in this room know it's to be true because I've said it over many, many years. And it was, it's scripture verses about rise up, you complacent women, and beat your breasts and pray because bad things are coming if you don't. And this is not to scare anybody, <laughs> but this is, I have great news, but I have, I have tough news. And I've got great news. But the tough news is, 
you can try to hide wherever you want to go in whatever country you want to go. Did you notice it's a global thing we're talking about here? This is everywhere. There's no place to hide. And behind this man, Sean Parker, who we should pray for and we hold nothing against, ladies, we've got to understand. And I, I say it to the woman in the mirror because, you know, we talk about these things. We think we know them. And yet the enemy comes and steals them. And all of a sudden we go living like none of it's true. We live like there's no devil. We think everything is, is us. Oh, this pain is always natural, and the interference in this relationship is natural, and this anxiety is natural, and we just think everything is... We just live on a planet and act as though it's just me and God on this planet. And I'm saying to us this morning, to anybody who wants to, you know, hear this and receives it, I'm saying that we are in a new place as the body of Christ, and we need to realize that God is allowing some of the pressure, the pressure in our lives for some very distinct and real reasons. Believe me, for good reasons. Believe me, it is for our good that if we, as the body of Christ, don't get a hold of some of the some of the things I want to begin to just lay out to us this morning, and I've been trying to lay out in my own life, It's going to be very, very difficult to get through the, the, the chaos and the darkness that is descending on the world. This isn't, to, this isn't to scare us because the master already told us this was going to happen. Not only that, he told us, and Jen already quoted that verse and said, you know, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome but now we've got to learn how to live in the victory of his overcoming. And, and we could have the best intentions and we can, you know, we can have the best intentions. But unless we really understand and start really getting our lessons and understanding what scripture says the path, the path is, um, we're going to wonder why we're not seeing, we're not feeling the victory in our lives, even though we may be um, very sincere but sincerity doesn't, sincerity will not save you from deception. Did, did you hear what I said? You can be the most sincere person in the world, but if you are, you are ignorant, uh, you will be sincerely deceived. And so God is very clear. That's what I'd like. I mean, you, we've got to know the word. We've got to be students of the word because it's all here. He's told us this and it's not is there not a battle in this country to steal this away from us? Is there not a battle to make us all look like we're just little, uh, we're idiots that, oh, we're just the fundamentalists. You know, they just believe or oh, they believe everything in that book. And I mean, there's such a battle because this is the most powerful, powerful thing that you can ever, the most powerful force on this earth, along with the power of the spirit of God among us. And so we have got to understand. So here we go. So God raises up Deborah. She, she calls her commander Barak aside, tells him what the strategy is and uh, where he should bring his troops. We find out later in the song of Deborah that apparently there was a flood water, um, that a deluge that actually just made so much mud and was such chaos that the, the chariots 
of the um, Canaanites, they couldn't even, here they had these amazing thousands of chariots and they couldn't even use them because God had sent a flood and they were trapped. And then um, the commander, his name was Sisera, he, his, he leaves his armies to fight. They get, they get slaughtered. And Joel, I want you to listen to this particularly. And one of the things that Deborah says to her commander, Barak, right in the beginning, she says, oh, by the way, Barak, these are, these, this is what I need you to do, but I want to tell you something. You're not going to get the glory for this because a woman is going to kill him. And so I told you they go in the battle, and there's a deluge of, of rain. The chariots are stuck. All the men are trying to fight. But Sisera, the commander, the Canaanite commander, gets runs away and, 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 try, and tries to flee on his feet. And what he does, he comes into, a, into a, a, a place of tents where there's people living. And he finds out, and, and there's, a, there's a woman there, and her name is Jael, J-A-E-L. And every time I'm reading it all, I'm thinking of you all, all weekend. Joel, J- I keep saying Joel, no, it's Jael, no, Jael, Joel. Anyway, so, so Jael uh, is, a, is um, she's in her tent. Now, her tent is her home. So she's in her home. And she finds out that Sisera is looking to get away. And she goes out of her tent and invites him in. And he is exhausted from running. He's exhausted from the battle. And he says, he said, would you just give me some water? And she said, oh, not a problem. Lay down right here. Let me give you some warm milk. That's even better. She puts the guy to sleep, makes him warm. He falls asleep. And she takes the peg of her tent. <laughs> you say, oh, I know. Oh, drives it right into his temple. And... And, and, and this man, obviously, I say this to say, yeah, I say this to say, there's some battles, there's some battles, listen to me, there's some battles that women need to lead. Mm, mm-hmm. There are some battles that are reserved for us ladies. There are some battles that God has reserved, and unless women rise up as mothers in America, as grandmothers in America, and unless we rise up and come out of our complacency and realize it is not business as usual anymore in America. Will you turn to somebody next to you and tell her that? It's not business as usual anymore in America. This is a very serious and sober hour. You know, we as women, just think about this. There was no peace in the land. So God raised up Deborah to bring peace back. Sound familiar? What are we talking about this morning? God raised up this, these women to bring peace back to America. And God wants to raise up women today to bring peace back to America. And it's women in our homes because the enemy has had the nerve to come right into our houses. 
He's in our house on the TV. He's in our house on the phones. He's in our house on Facebook. He's in our, where is he not? But if you and I do not understand that behind Sean Parker is a demonic power, the Bible is very clear. This is a war. You were born into a war. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. I'm just thinking of all the young people here today, all different ages, from teenagers to young adults, that this is for you, too, to grasp this before you have more of an adult life or before you have kids or to save your friends that are that are an anxious mess walking in school every day or whatever. You're you're meant in your generation to hear this and be leaders to help to help in that in that essence, too, you know. That's right. Absolutely. Well, you know, we say that before they have adult responsibilities and before they, you know, experience some of what we as uh, mothers. And and if you're a single lady or you don't have children, it doesn't matter. We're women. We're the women of God. And this is the call. This was a call for women to rise up and to bring peace back to the land. They were two women. Nobody does it themselves. You've got to be in, in communion. But listen to all the things that we heard about before the teens. It doesn't have to, you don't have to be a mother. You can be a teenager. Look at what's happening to our teens. Look at what's happening to our younger children. The anxiety that everyone is talking about. I mean, I think most of America is on anti-anxiety pills. Probably many of us in here have, uh, are, are, have something along that line in our lives or need it on some occasions. Nothing to be ashamed of. But, God has answers for us. And I, I tell you, because I know that God has been saying to me, you know, um, in the last years, I mean, it started, it started and hasn't, it didn't stop for like seven or eight years for us. It started with Jen's cancer, and that was seven years ago, six years ago now. And it's just been one thing. I think it's been seven, Jen. Yeah, okay. I, I know better than you do, but that's okay. <clears throat> but, you know, she said to me, Mom, you know, this mindfulness thing, I have this, you know, I have this um, desire to, you know, we've got to know about it. And, you know, this coming in the schools. And um, I, I found out the other day that somebody, uh, was it, uh, I won't mention her name, but someone told us they're handing out books to the young children in elementary school about g- g- being gay or, you know, or straight. Young children, young children, young children. Ladies, we, it is not life as usual anymore. And you, you know, I used to, I used to use this term all the time years ago. Some of you remember me using it. It's called entrainment. Entrainment, it means is as a power. You put a bunch of clocks together in a room and you give it a period of time. You know what happens? They all start keeping the same time. You put a bunch of women together, let them be friends, hang out with each other. What happens? Yeah. Isn't it a coincidence? You, you have it too? This one? Well, you, we're, the cycles. We all just keep the cycles, right? You were just thinking that, right? Steph, you were just thinking that. Yeah. Because there's such a thing called entrainment. Ladies, ladies, look at me. This is not just about you. There are powers so much greater than we are. And we're not just pastors you know, walking around saying, well, we just want to make sure the numbers are better for the you know, prayer meetings. Listen, 
that you need to come out and we need to do times like this and we need to be getting together because you get downloads during those times. You're in worship and God gives you downloads. You get, you get in, 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 in together with the body of Christ and God gives you downloads. You just go off by yourself and you just see what will happen. You don't, we don't realize the grace that we live in. And we don't realize it because we're so used to it. Okay, I want to move along quickly and, and, and start to just get to really the meat of what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, I'm going to read you this verse real quickly. Quickly, Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest. And, and Hebrews tells us there's a rest for the people of God. There's rest. God has a rest for us to enter into. And it's a rest that's an internal rest. We're not to be, God has answers for us. We're not to be just like the world. We've got to know and understand how God wants to give that to us. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. You know, I cannot talk with keep my shoes on. I'm sorry, I don't know why. I just can't. Much of what I'm going to say what I want you to leave with, we have got to know the difference between our spirit and our soul. Listen, most Christianity has not a clue. The world says, you know, it's your body and it's your soul, your body, your mind. We do not understand. And when Jen said, you know, would you follow me with with the, the mindfulness, and I realized that as I started to think about it, I realized that I had to start laying groundwork. Give me just a few minutes to lay some groundwork because I can't just start over here with what should we do. You've got to understand how we're made. It was in the garden that man was his, he was, uh, God took the, du- the dust of the ground and he made a body out of that. And then he breathed into man And gave him a spirit, a place where God would live. And then he became a living soul. Adam, the first Adam, was a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, is a life-giving spirit. We have got to understand that we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Now, what is your soul? Your soul is you. It's your personality. It's, it's what makes you you. But it is your mind, it is your will, and it is your emotions. The problem in most of Christianity today, I actually, I recommended soul keeping to, the, to you. And I know, I love John, I love the book, but I have some problems with the book. I have some problems with the book right at the beginning, at the title, on the cover of the book. It says the soul is the most important part of you. I'm sorry, John Ortberg. I love you to pieces, but you are wrong. Your soul is not the most important part of you. Your spirit is the most important part of you. Talking to Arlene last week, she was in the room with a, uh, a music minister who was dying. He was hooked up to support. He was on support, life support. And uh, there was a number of them, pastors, worship leaders, they were around his bed. And he was on, he was on life support because he was virtually, he was dead. Michelle here? Michelle, right? You're on life support. Nothing was, nothing was working. The machines were keeping him alive, right? 
So they talked to the family. They, they, you know, they gave the family time to adjust to it so they could pull the plug. They pulled the plug, and they all sat around. They stood around singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And they got to the part that said, when we've been there 10,000 years, he sat up, looked up, and left. You are a spirit. You live in this body and you have a soul. Your spirit is God conscious. When he said in the garden, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. You're going to die in that spirit. You won't be able to communicate with God. He won't be real to you. If God is not real to you, it is because you're dead in your spirit. That's why some of us, all of us in here that can testify that when you're born again, if you, a man must be born again or he cannot see the kingdom of God. And when you're born again, all of a sudden you're like, wow, God, he's real. What are you talking about? I I, I don't know. He's just real. What are you, out of your mind? I mean, you, you know, you know, because one day you just, it's a religious idea. And the next day, he's real. He's real. Do you want to know what makes a Christian? Forget the doctrine. Forget what they believe, their theology. You'll find out if he's a Christian, if Jesus is real to him. If Jesus is real, your spirit came alive. Your spirit is God conscious. Your soul is self conscious. Your body is world conscious. Your soul is the one who chooses whether you're going to go let your body lead or you're going to let the spirit lead. Your body going to lead or your spirit going to lead. You can do this with your mind. You can do this with your emotions. I don't know. I'm just depressed. I don't know. I'm going to whatever. I'm, or I'm so angry. I'm going to go tell her off your body. The, the, you're being pulled by your body while your spirit over here is saying, don't do it yet. Be quiet. Get quiet first. Don't do my 24-hour rule. Linda, don't do it. Don't do it, Linda. Ah, geez, I told you not to do it. Come on. You've done it too. Ladies, I'm afraid I don't hear enough of this in the body of Christ in America. We don't understand that in the garden, the soul took over the place of the spirit. And now the soul is the self soul is that's why everybody's self-centered. That's why it's all about me because the soul just came around and grew right around that spirit until you're born again. But now when you're born again, you're in the beginning of school. And now your, your soul has to learn to get down and take a second place. And you and I are in a constant battle with a soul that wants to be in charge. Some of us are mind, you know, we've got the minds, we were led by our intellect. Well, if the Bible can explain this to me, you know, or your emotions, I just, you know, just feel, I just feel this, you know, and we don't understand. And I don't have time because my daughter will kill me if I talk too long. I don't have time to go into how important it is 
Now, I just read that verse in Hebrews, and it said that the word of God is sharper than every two-edged sword that cuts and divides the soul from the spirit. Because what happens is when you're born again, your spirit's alive. Now, God goes in to cut those two, so they're now distinctly different. And our job is to start to know our spirit, to recognize our spirit. This is the real Christian life. It's the the Christ life. It's the life in your spirit. But most people, please, hang on. I know I sound negative, and but forgive me. It's how, it's really how I feel. Most people live and die as Christians and never really understood and have led, been led by their soul most of their whole lives and thought they were living the Christian life. Your soul, your mind, your emotions are not to be leading us. This is a life. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And those that are led by the Spirit, those that have a mind of the Spirit, there's life and peace. Do you see? I'm not coming in here to talk about the mind. I'm not coming in here to talk about your soul. I'm coming in here to override all of it and say it is your spirit, man, that we need to be made stronger that needs to know God, need to communicate with God. That's where our intuition is. That's where communion is. And most of us don't have, most people in the body of Christ in America don't understand and think that they're fine and, and, and they're living the, the, you know, the, the high life, the Christian life, and yet they don't know their spirit. They don't know when their spirit is under. They don't know when the enemy is sitting on their spirit. And we think it's just, oh, I'm just depressed today. And never realize the devil's sitting on your spirit. The devil is doing that. It's your spirit. Now, one of my favorite psalms in the whole world, listen to this, one of my favorite psalms in the whole world. You better stop me, Jen, because I could be here all day. Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor were things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to read a few verses again, and you tell me who's talking. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Who's talking? It's the Spirit. It's when the Spirit is is ascendant and says, whoa, may I have your your, uh, bookmark? This is the reason you got this bookmark today. Did you read this, anybody? Did you read it? Hush be still my soul, for the soul is indeed like a child who's never satisfied, who will do anything for attention, endlessly craving only empty things. And when I allow it to engage me in its tantrums through scoldings and beratings, I only succeed in escalating its fears. It's only when I, like any good mother, learn to speak to it softly and firmly that the poor thing can find any comfort. No, I didn't write it. I can't remember where I got it from either. You heard David. In the Psalms, what does he say? He says, be, be still, my soul. Or, my, you know, my soul, why are thou downcast, my soul? 
And so we walk around for years and years thinking we're living the Christian life, stuck, sunk in our soul, letting our emotions tell us how we are and who we are. You have got to learn to step back from your soul into your spirit identity and say, no, 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 no. When I started to speak to my soul, my life changed. When I started to say to myself, I know you're overwhelmed right now. I understand you don't have to be Jesus and I here. I, I know that sounds weird. Call me weird, but I want to tell you, you try it. When you're overwhelmed, you realize that there's a part of you that is seeing it and understanding it. There is a part of you that is to be ascendant over that soul of yours. Now, when I read that verse, we read that the word of God cuts soul and spirit, cuts soul and spirit and exposes them. Well, you know what that means? That's exactly what the priest did in the Old Testament. They would take a sacrifice and they would cut open the sacrifice with a knife. That's what the priest did. And he would expose it. He would, uh, he would cut the bone from the marrow. In other words, it's kind of spirit and soul. It's that your spirit is the marrow inside, in marrow inside the bone. And it says, and all things are bare and open to him with whom we have to do. Well, yes, just like the priest would open a sacrifice, that sacrifice was laid open. You have a high priest in heaven. And you know what? He's taking the word and he is applying his knife to your life. And, and what seems like cruelty is him doing us the ultimate favor and separating our soul from our spirit that our soul will no longer overpower our spirit and that we will learn to know the difference between the two is this is this information any helpful i mean is this is this i mean this okay i'm talking to the right people this is the christian life and your high priest loves you so much he's going to do it he's going to take his knife out how many of you read Heinz Feet on High Places? Remember her on the altar at the end when she, they tie her down to the altar? Girls, you're on the altar. L- let me just say this too. Romans 1 through 11 is all about what Christ has done. I'd love to teach it. Romans 12 says, now, in light of all that he's done for us, now I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself, your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service of worship. This is what I want to say. If you have been born again and Christ, is not, and Christ has been made real to you, the second step in the Christian life is something called consecration. That's exactly what Romans 11 is saying. And if you think you're going to have a renewed mind or have a deep walk with God and you have never consecrated your life and gotten on that altar, you're misinformed. That means, you know what that means? It means you get on the altar and you say, this really scares me. I remember how petrified I was as as a Christian doing this. But you need to climb on that altar and say, Not my will, but yours. Whatever. Whatever. My life is no longer mine. It's yours. And he will take you up on it. That means 
surrender. Nothing belongs to me. Listen, your life is not about you. Your life isn't about you. Oh, you're going to have, I mean, we have the most amazing Lord who has such joy and love for us. And we can't imagine the things he has in store for those who love him. But I want to tell you, there's work to do here. And the church doesn't get it. And we're walking around thinking that just because I, you know, I'm moving the gifts, you know, or I know some, I know scriptures. You've got to know the difference between your soul and your spirit. And you've got to know and learn how to be led by the spirit of God. And I think maybe if we were interested, we may get together and we may talk in uh, the new year about how to do that. And I'm going to probably start to close now on this, on this thought. Let me get my verse here. Let me explain something to us a minute. 1 Peter, chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Well, that's interesting these days, right? Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. Will you turn to somebody and say, you know, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Okay. Hang on. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he he may devour. I've read that about uh, maybe a trillion times in almost 50 years of walking with the Lord. Finally, it dawned on me recently. I always wondered. Here he is saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And, and, then, and he says, you know, the enemy is roaming around. And in the middle, he says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Because that's exactly how he wants to, he's trying to take you down. The enemy is walking around seeking whom he may, desire, he may devour by loading you and I down with anxiety and care. That is his, he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him before, because he cares for you. Okay, I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to say one last thing. I could, I could really, because it makes me tremble, I could make you tremble. In, if I had ten more minutes to tell you some things that I have learned through Watchman Nee, who, I, who means a lot to me, I could make us all tremble in this room. Because the real goal of the enemy in the last days, okay, before I say that, Adam was absolutely brilliant. He had amazing power. He was in charge of a garden that extended with four ri- between four rivers. Did you know that? He named all the animals. He, he was supposed to keep this garden and till this garden. He named them all. The man was, there was a power in Adam that we would probably call supernatural. And when Adam and Eve fell, that power in their soul got frozen in, in their soul. And God does not allow us to use our latent soul power. That is where your psychics get their power. That's where your witches get their power. All of the dark 
powers come from a soul that if you're, that's in touch with evil spirits. He, his job in the last days is to, is to, well, look when Jesus said, in those last days, people are going to come and say, well, we prophesied in your name. Didn't we, didn't we do many miracles in your name? We did all these things. Miracles. And what, what was Jesus' answer? Be gone from me. I never knew you. That wasn't my power you were operating from. Our power does not come from our soul. Our power comes from, our, comes from the Spirit of God who lives in our spirit. We cannot make it happen when we want. We can't use the gifts indiscriminately like we want. We are absolutely dependent on the Spirit of God just as the Master was. Remember what the devil said to him? Jesus, why don't you... You're such a big shot. Why don't you show off... Take the stones. Make them bread. Jesus didn't say, I can't. What Jesus was saying is, I won't use my soul power to do anything unless Father moves in me. And my Father calls me to do it, and it's his life doing it. Okay, this is really important. Please do not forget this. Whatever a miracle you think you see, a miracle, or something you would say is supernatural... It doesn't matter what it looks like. You need to find out what the source was. It's all about the source. That's why preachers should not be using their soul power, because soul touches soul, spirit touches spirit. The enemy's job is to keep you and I busy in your soul all the time, give you anxiety, give you problems. You're just sitting there trying, you're just working with your soul. I'm just worried all the time. It's just fear. We've got to learn to step back and say, whoa, that's going on in my soul. But I'm in this, but the spirit of God lives in me, in my spirit. And I can say, be still my soul. Be still my soul. It isn't always that easy. But it's a school that I would like us to enroll. I would like to enroll in with some of the folks that would be interested in. Um, I have a burden to see. I've had a vision. Um, Again, some of the gals would verify this. I've had a vision for a number of years now, starting with those verses of complacent women in Isaiah. That was many years of my early life. But the last four or five years, maybe, uh, the Lord, I have a vision in this room of seeing women on their faces crying out to God for their children. How many of you know Francis Frangipan? Wonderful author, great Christian man. Francis was a big student of revival. And he said that he went back and studied the revivals and the prayer that, that, that brought those revivals to pass. And he said he was puzzled about where the Jesus, where the prayer was for the Jesus movement. Now, some of you older folks my age, you, we, I came to the Lord in the Jesus movement. Some of us in here did come to. And if you remember, if you don't know some of you younger folk, in the 60s and 70s when the Jesus movement hit, it was free love. It was burning the bras. It was racial unrest. It was everything you're seeing now. The world was coming apart. And Francis asked God, what 
who prayed in the Jesus movement. And this is what God told Francis. Thousands and thousands of mothers on their faces for their children. I have a vision in this room of women on our faces just crying out to God for our kids. Ladies, we don't know if our young kids are going to be called to battle, to war in the next how many years. Our prayer, this, isn't, this is not life as normal anymore. This is not life as normal anymore. We have got to get drastic. Uh, God is calling me to make prayer absolutely uppermost in this church. Then I'm going to go around to the music ministry. I'm going to say, okay, every six weeks, your six weeks are done. Music ministry, get to the prayer room. You need to be praying. Children's ministry, six weeks, your day's up. You need to be in there praying. It, every ministry in this church, you know, every six weeks or four weeks or however we want to make it, we need to be on our faces praying and asking God, getting before God, and not, and, and not going to our souls, bringing our souls, but waiting on God. For God's answers, for God's answers, because the, the flood that is coming, you'll not make it if you're living in your soul. I'm not here to scare you, but it's the truth. You've got to be somebody who knows the spirit of God and can be led by the spirit. And you need people to do that around you. You need to try it on each other. You need to walk with each other. You need to get feedback all the time. You need to make mistakes. There's plenty of room to make mistakes. Oh, but Romans 8, Romans 8 tells us those that are led by the Spirit, those that the the life of the Spirit is life and peace. That's where it comes from. And the one thing the devil wants to do is have us sit around. You know what mindfulness is, what it's doing? Jen said there's some real bad repercussions. You don't empty your mind ever. You don't empty your mind. In fact, it's, what's the one who did Celebration of Discipline? Um, for uh, Celebration of Discipline, who, which is Foster. Um, there isn't a time he doesn't pray without taking the blood and putting it over himself before he prays. You are not on this planet, just you and God. This is not to scare you. This is to say, Deborah, Rise. Mothers in America, this is a serious time. This is a dangerous time, and it's going to be an amazing adventure for those of us that are really serious about living that, getting on that, going on that adventure. There's no bigger adventure than following the Spirit of God. He's got plans for us. Look at the book of Acts where they tell him, no, turn down that turn corner. Go to that house. Go meet here. I mean, it is an exciting adventure to be led by the Spirit. We can't, we've got to know the difference between our soul and our spirit. I don't know how to close. Um, I don't know how to close. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that maybe... I'd like to open the altar for those people that feel either they never really consecrated their lives to God. You don't consecrate your old flesh, the old person. Once you're born again, you're consecrating the new you, the new life in God. You're consecrating that new person. And also, perhaps we, what we need is to pray for a cover, a blessing over our minds.
that we, I would like to pray for those that would like to. I remember Jane Hale, we used to do it all the time and just pray God would, would absolutely, the blood of Jesus would cleanse our minds. Now, if you would like that, um, then I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to ask you to stay. Megan, you're going to come up and, uh, the, uh, the rest of the music team, I don't know what you guys are going to do or what you want to sing, but, um, how many of you would like another breakfast in January and would like us to continue moving this way? Okay. Okay. I'm thinking so too. I'm thinking January, we're going to, we're going to keep plowing and that we're going to come together as women. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know if that was a vision from God or not, but I know one thing. How many of you are really exercised when you're, when you're with it and you're, you know, you're not being, uh, dopamined, uh, how many really have a real burden for your children and your grandchildren? Listen, if we don't pray for them, you tell me who is going to pray for them. Who's going to pray for them? Ladies, this is a, I believe this is a call of God. Deborah, each of us in this room, Deborah, JL, this battle needs mothers. This battle needs women. This battle needs grandmothers. God needs every mother he can, mother, grandmother, to soon to be mother, uh, mother of, of school age, uh, of Sunday school children. I don't care what other mother you are. God needs you in an army. He wants to raise up of women. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this song. And then anybody who feels first, I'm going to ask you if you want us to. I'm going to ask for consecration first. If you've never, or if you'd like to renew your consecration, and I know some people may say, well, that's scary. It, you, we should be more afraid of not giving ourselves to God than keeping ourselves from God. The only safe place is under the shadow. That's the safe place. So we're going to start with that. Be free. No anybody feel any compulsion to do anything. But if you would like to come and consecrate right now and say, you know what? I, I want to renew my consecration. I want to give my life. I want, to, I want to get on that altar again if I've gotten off. And I want to say, God, it may scare me. My knees may shake a little bit. But here, have at me. My life is yours. There's real no ministry in your life until you do that, honestly. You may be... You know, God may be blessing you in some ways, but real ministry comes from laying your life down, and the Spirit of God is absolutely sovereign over you. Okay, well, let's start singing it, and, and you just wait on God, and you be free to come on up if you feel like that's God talking to you. Amen. So, Father, here we are in your presence. And you know every woman who has found her way to this platform. Lord, you know the battles that nobody else knows. You get her like nobody else gets her. You get her loneliness. You get her fears that wake her up at night. You get her anxieties, her self-hatred her shame. Lord, there's not a thing about us you don't understand. No one gets her like you get her. Nothing is hidden from your eyes and you love her. And you called her 
to be yours. Nobody has a greater call on her life than you do. No one knows better what's best for her but you. You know the mountain she's up against right now that seems like it just won't move. You know how tempted she is to be angry with you, with herself, with other people. And Lord, you can handle it all. You get it. You understand it. And if she could hear you right now, she would hear a heart sick with love for her. A heart that doesn't see her as she is now, but sees her totally, completely full of your spirit, holy with your life flowing through her. There's going to be a day that every woman in this place, oh God, will know nothing but peace. We'll know nothing. We won't even remember what fear felt like anymore. And it'll be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But you ask that we would come and trust you and get on that altar and let you do the work of your, your priestly work and to separate our soul and our spirit. And, Lord, I want to tell you, ladies, you never get back what you put on an altar. So don't ever come to an altar and give your life to God if you don't mean it. You can never take your life back again. But I, I we, you know, some of us that have some years here now can tell you, oh, I've had bad moments. I've had bad moments. The devil's whispered a lot of things to my, in my ear. But I've never, ever regretted that I gave my life to Christ and said, have at it. Oh, it wasn't always easy, but neither is your life. So, so listen, you can get to have your problems by yourself or come on here and have your problems with him. Let him be the, be the one who's allowing the problem in your life. Let these ladies, Father, have come here today because they heard your spirit and they've come to let go of their lives. Father, I feel like rejoicing with them. I feel excited for them. Some of them have done it before, but this is a renewal for them. And they want to once again, oh my gosh, there's no greater joy or happiness or peace than knowing I'm not my own. That's a pillow to put your head down at night. I know this stinks and I hate what's going on in my life, but I'm not my own. Somebody bigger and smarter that has more love for me and more wisdom than I could ever have is allowing this and working for my good in it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Your reasonable service of worship. And then the next verse says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's only when the Spirit can now take over the soul that it can now renew that mind. I want to tell you something. Contrary to what you think, you can read scripture from now to forever, and it's mighty powerful. But until there's a consecration in your life, God is hindered. God is hindered. And so I want to pray 
Father, right now, as, as, as we go around and pray for one another and we get it, we anoint with oil today, Lord, I'm asking you that you will wash over our minds. We present our minds afresh to you and ask you, Lord Jesus, by your blood, let your blood cleanse our minds, oh God, from every evil conscience, from every place Satan has built a stronghold. We're asking, Lord Jesus, right now that you will cleanse our minds. Cleanse our minds, Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, we present our minds to you. Cleanse them. Renew them. Get them back from the evil one where he has taken up residence. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, renew, wash, cleanse us in our minds, Lord, as we present our minds to you. This mind is yours, Lord. Set off those alarms when I start to take it back. When the enemy starts to try to take my hand, renew, cleanse, newness in the spirit of our minds. In the spirit of our minds. A new work in our mind, Lord. And then remind us our minds belong to you. Oh God, remind us, Father. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. The safest place we could ever be is under your shadow. Belonging to you, Lord. Belonging to you. Pastor James is going to start in the new year teaching on the Holy Spirit. We need to all be praying. Pray for him. Pray for the church. We want to see revival hit this church. We need the power of the Spirit. I'm asking you to pray for, pray for him as he starts in that new year. Please continue. Come to the altar. Come to the altar, however you're comfortable. But if there are people here praying, just keep your conversations low, okay? Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.